If we haven't met yet, I'm Melanie and I'm married to Stuart and together we moved here to start this beautiful church. I am a wife and a mummy and I also do some stuff for real life church. So I look after the young in real life. So I look after the under 18s with a huge amount of help from some amazing leaders. And I look after what we do in the community. So all that we are kind of outside of this kind of room, which I just love. It thrills my heart when I was at the fun run watching our runners and just being a part of community and then hearing people say, oh, you guys always put on a great show at the fun run. I always love seeing your vehicle. I always love hearing about what you've raised. I just enjoy it. And I've got mummies on the playground who are saying to me, we always keep a good eye out to see what real life are coming up with this year. It's like no pressure, but it's good. It's so good to be out there. So uh, I've had a great couple of weeks really enjoying being out and about in our community. I had some interesting moments at the festival and I came home and reflected on what some of my favourite bits of the festival were and it, it will sound strange because it was a collective gathering of thousands of Christians and worship times and amazing meal times but I have to say my most favourite bit of the festival was on the first night in the middle of the night and in the middle of the night there was a thunderstorm that hit um, the festival like I've never seen before. It was the noisiest electric storm I've ever been out in and when I say out in I actually mean out in because in the middle of this crazy electric storm that was loud and lighting up the sky one of my little boys says I need a wee and so I'm like oh man and they're a little bit past the stage where one of their wees will fit in a potty in the tent and so I was thinking right and because you're a little bit sleep dazed I just thought well that's fine we'll just put our wellies on and we'll just go to the toilet afterwards in the morning Stuart said he could have just peed outside the tent Um, I just I just I wasn't really thinking so we we get our stuff on and in the middle of this electric storm we're just walking to the toilets and Levi says to me mommy do people die in electric storms and I'm like oh no we'll be just fine I don't really know and so I came home and I thought I'm going to google electric storms and I'm going to find out I'm I'm really glad I didn't know what I know now it's made me quite curious about electric storms it's made me think about those noises and what goes on in the sky and I, I read this on google I thought it was brilliant it said Watching and listening to a thunderstorm can be exciting, but you wouldn't want to be out in it. And I read that and thought, okay, but check that one off, not out in a thunderstorm. Thunderstorms make lightning, and lightning is dangerous. So I was like, okay, all right. Um, Lightning happens when ice and water particles bump into each other inside thunderclouds. And as they bump into each other, they create an electric charge. And when the charge connects with electrical charges on the ground, lightning strikes. Lightning is most likely to hit tall objects like the tree that our tent was pitched under like that and maybe tents mountains and people anything that stands up from the ground thunderstorms happen at any time of year but more often than not spring summer 
and they happen more often than not in the afternoon and evening and there are more than 1,800 thunderstorms every day on the earth. Lightning, this one I was a bit like, "Mm, I'm glad I didn't know this information. Lightning kills more people every year than tornadoes or hurricanes. About 75 to 100 people die from being struck by lightning. You can hear thunder about 15 miles away, but you can hear and see lightning up to 100 miles away. Which, if you were out in it, when the lightning crackled, I I know now that I shouldn't have been out in it, um, but if you are out in it, the lightning lights up the sky like nothing else. It's absolutely amazing. And you can see and hear that for up to 100 miles away. This would be the advice on Google. If you're caught in a thunderstorm, get to a shelter, such as a building or a car, quickly. If there is no shelter, get down on your hands and knees and tuck your head down. Don't go anywhere near trees or water in a thunderstorm. And in brackets, probably don't sleep in a tent, I reckon. So I'm pretty glad I didn't know all that information as I'm saying to my eight-year-old son, oh no, we'll be just fine as we're walking to go for a wee. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24, and we're going to look at 26 to 31. If you haven't got a Bible with you, don't worry, I'm going to read it to you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So Matthew 24, 26 to 31. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he's hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as a gathering of vultures shows that there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken." And then at last, the the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the furthest ends of the earth and heaven. I want to talk to us this morning about Jesus coming again, and I want to suggest that that should affect our lives now. I want to suggest that that should change us in a moment and should alter what we then do when we walk out of this room. I don't know whether you even know that Jesus Christ is coming again. I don't know whether you're sitting here thinking, well, I knew that Jesus Christ came once, and he died on a cross, and and that was amazing, and he died, and then he rose from the grave. I don't know whether you know he's coming again, and I don't know whether you know that's not just a picture in the Bible, or some nice poetic language. That is literally going to happen. There will be a people, my goodness, there's a massive part of me that wants to be that people, who will be standing on the earth when the Son of Man comes again in power and glory. And he won't come back like he went out. So he won't come back and be a suffering saviour. He will come back in power and in glory. 
He won't go out the same as he comes in. There will be something about it that halts every single person's life. You will never be able to say, oh, I didn't know he walked the earth. Every eye will see that he is the Lord of all. That day is going to be utterly terrifying and awe-inspiring. That day you will literally hear people falling to their knees. There will be realization of I've missed it or I've got it. It, That day will be amazing. I partly want to be there on that day, but I also want my kids to go on and get married and have grandkids. and, And I want to do all of that. So I feel a little torn because I think that day just sounds incredible and also terrifying. What it says of that day is that we will see the Son of Man. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man over 30 times in Matthew's Gospel. It's actually his favorite name for himself. So if you type in biblegateway.com, the Son of Man, it'll bring up the amount of times that that's said in the Bible and the amount of times that's said in Matthew's Gospel. And every time it's spoken about in Matthew's Gospel, it's Jesus referring to himself. It's his favourite name for himself. And, and it got me thinking, why? Why is that his favourite name for himself? And it's a clever name because he identifies straight away with you and I. He says, I'm the son of man, just like you are. Just like you are the son of a father or a mother. Just like you are the daughter of. I'm exactly like you. I'm human. But it also gives a little nod to things that have been said prior in the Bible. So it gives a little nod to Daniel the book in the Bible, Daniel, where where he describes the Son of Man. So let me, you don't have to turn to this, you can if you want. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says this, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honour and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that, ev- so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal, it will never end and his kingdom will never be destroyed. So in one name, Jesus is saying of himself, I am just like you and I am nothing like you. I I am fully man and I am fully God. And in this one person, I'm going to be both of those things. And I'm going to be it fully and I'm going to be it in front of you. And I'm going to identify with you, but I'm also going to reveal God to you. I'm going to do both all at the same time. And then he brings with him his angels. And I love that. Whenever you see angels in the Bible, you should pay attention. You should look at what else is going on. Because angels accompany the saviour. They accompany the activity of heaven. So you see the son of man coming and with one breath saying, I'm fully man, I'm fully God, and, and being completely awesome. And then you see angels coming alongside. The angels were there at his birth. 
They were there in the wilderness when he was being tempted by Satan. They were there at the resurrection. They're all over the second coming. Like I can't even imagine the noise and the light and the sound. And I felt like in that thunderstorm, when I looked up at the sky, I felt like it's going to look something like this. It's going to light the sky up. We're going to see things like, like that we've never really experienced before. I stood in that storm and I thought, I have never experienced this kind of power, this kind of awesomeness ever. I've never been in an electric storm like that. I've never been as close to it. I've never seen it light up the sky. That's what the angels will do. And then they are all over worship in heaven. So when you read the book of Revelation, they are everywhere. They they seem to surround the worship of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. They are everywhere. And angelic beings are everywhere. Whether or not you can see them sitting here, they surround the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We should expect something of the supernatural to be around the work of Jesus Christ. Because he isn't just man, he's God. So we love that Jesus identifies with us and he's very human and we can go to him with anything and we can sin and mess up and we can go straight into his presence because he identifies with us. He knows our struggles, he knows our pains, but we must not forget that he is surrounded by the angelic, that he has something about him that is supernatural, awesome, awe-inspiring and incredible. He is both always both at the same time. And so it should not surprise us if our kids are having dreams where they see angels or they sometimes say, I can feel and experience things. So it should not shock us when others say to us, actually, I feel the presence of God. I feel the fluttering of things. I feel noises, voices. It should not surprise us that We're seeing the supernatural alongside the natural. It should not surprise us. That's exactly what the second coming looks like, but also what our experience of being here and now on the earth should look like. There's a mighty blast, it says, when the Savior comes. I wanted to find someone who played the trumpet to come up here and and show us what that mighty blast sounds like, what what it feels like to have a trumpet blasting and armies dating way back, use the trumpet to gather everyone, to signal that we're going forward. It's been a device that's been used because it's loud and it's rich and it it kind of grabs your attention. It can be heard over long distances. We have to get in our heads that something of the second coming of Jesus will be heard all around the world But also, before he comes, his message should be heard all around the world. It should be blasted out. It should not be something that we are ashamed of or afraid of. It is a beautiful message that literally means life for people. And we should trumpet it. You should be able to get saved in every single one of our meetings because we always should expect the lost to be here. We should have our stories ready so that we can blast the trumpet sound out so that we can say he is real, he exists and he's coming again. We should practice. Anyone who plays an instrument knows that if you practice it, you play it better. 
We should practice our stories, practice the big story. We should be able to say easily, if someone says, what must I do to be saved? We should be able to say, what you do is you recognize that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he has forgiven you for all your sins. All you need to do is say sorry to him and ask him into your life. All you need to do is follow him. We should be ready. We should have that polish so that it just comes out, so that we're not going, ah, and then we go home and beat ourselves up. We should practice our instruments. We should practice our trades so that when the time comes, we are ready. And then he's coming for the chosen. And I really, when I read that, I thought, I, I know that to be true. He's coming for his church. I want to say to you, if you sit in this room and you do not have a love for the local church, you should ask God for that. Because what Jesus is coming back for is not the lost. It's too late for the lost when he comes back. What he's coming back for is this. He's coming back for you and he's coming back for me, but he's coming back for the chosen. He's coming back for those who have committed their lives to him. That cry and that mourning is because there will be some who realize on that day that they missed it, that they spent their lives amassing wealth and success and made themselves their God. And when he reveals himself, they're going to realize that they've wasted their lives. He's coming back for church. He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for this. He's coming back for his chosen ones from among the nations of the world. Therefore, we should love what he loves. We should give ourselves to what he loves We should not rubbish the church. We should not talk about her like she doesn't belong to us. We are his. This is his body. We should honor it, respect it, love it, look after it, give ourselves to it. And I know sitting here, there are people who have had major disappointment from church. And it's about, it's the thing that makes me so sad is that I know what church should look like, but I know so many times it falls so short. But I also know I'm going to give my life to helping her be all she should be. Because I don't think Jesus has got another plan for the earth. I think what he has said is I will gather a people to myself and they will be in local congregations where they look after one another, serve one another and they will be my witnesses on the earth. They will show people what it's like to know me. So when we rubbish the church, when we, we are effectively rubbishing ourselves. Well, I say to our boys, if they're falling out, I grab them together and I say, so this morning they had a little to-do, Levi and Asher, and, and I grabbed them and I said, I said to Levi, Asher belongs to us, he's ours. And because he belongs to us, we want to make sure we touch him properly and talk to him properly because he's ours. That's what the church is. She's ours. She belongs to Jesus and she belongs to us. 
and we should love it and do all we can to make it look like it should look on the earth because this is what Jesus is coming back for and she won't be a tiny unrepresented bride she will be massive and she will have people from every tribe and nation and language she will be glorious because that's what he's coming back for it's not coming back for something that's dying dead empty irrelevant ridiculous full of hypocrisy he's coming back for a bride he's coming back for this and i I want to encourage us to be a people that love our church. And I'm not saying, like, love Stuart Melanie and get mugs of us on your side and when people come around, get a tea towel out with all our faces on. And like, I'm not talking about celebrity love. I'm talking about a love for the church that even when it lets you down or disappoints you or hurts you, you are working out where to be, what to do, and how to make her work. That you are not saying, look at what the church is or isn't doing. You are saying, this is my body, how can we help it work? So you are grabbing it together and going, this is hurt, this is broken. How do we fix it? What do we do? I do recognize that some churches you need to leave. So I'm not saying you have to stay in a place that is broken. I'm saying that if you are in this place and you are committed to this place, you should love it and you should do all you can to help the church become what she's supposed to be on the earth because this is what Jesus is coming back for. He's coming back in power and he's coming back in glory, but it is extremely dangerous on that day to not know him. Exactly like when lightning strikes. Now, I know this. I won't go out in a thunderstorm again with my eight-year-old boy. Um, But when lightning strikes, it is beautiful, glorious, and lights the sky up. But it is extremely dangerous. And it is extremely dangerous on that day not to know the Savior. It is extremely dangerous to not find your shelter and your place in him. And I know for most of you sitting here, you have found your shelter in Christ. You know who he is. You are saved by him, loved by him, known by him. He is your house. He is the place that you run to. But for some of you sitting here, you have not given your life to Jesus. You have not made him your shelter, your home, your safe place. And I want to tell you on that day, it is extremely dangerous for you to be found out without any home or any covering. You need to find shelter in Jesus Christ. There will be deep mourning on that day. There will be deep crying as people recognize and acknowledge that they've wasted their life living it for themselves. On that day, you want to run and find your shelter in him. And I would suggest you want to do it now. You don't want to spend the rest of your life not being home If there's an opportunity for you to find home, you should find it now. I want to say a couple more things out of it that might seem to you a little bit off on a tangent. I hope not. The first thing I want to say is worship is never a waste of our time. It's never the thing that we get through so that we can get on to the next bit. Because worship of the Saviour is about the only thing that really matters. 
If we were to spend our lives honouring him, worship him, loving him, that, to be honest, would be a life well spent. I don't personally think you can be in the presence of the Saviour and not want to tell other people about him. I think everything we do and everything we are should flow out of encounters with him, times with him, times honouring him, enjoying him, loving him, and then going out full of him, with our eyes fixed on him, with us clear about why we go to work, about why we have kids, about why we get married, about why we stay single, about why, why we do all of these things. We should be clear because we're fixed on him, because we've looked at him, because we love him. Will you always like the songs we sing? No. Will it always be to your style, your taste, your... No. Will it always be about him? Yes. And if I'm honest, that is the only thing that matters, is that our worship should be about him and for him. And, and what songs we sing and what tempo and, what, and how we do it and what instruments and yada, yada, yada. What matters is that it's all about him. If you hear us singing things that are not about him or you find our worship times to be very me-centered, speak up say, uh, I'm sorry, isn't our worship meant to be about him? So I love songs that engage emotionally with Jesus. If I'm honest, I prefer the ones that declare who he is. If I find myself in him, I'm all good. I love hearing songs about his power, his majesty, his just him. I love singing things that just get my eyes off of me, off of my circumstances and onto him. It is so good for me to worship him. It's so good for me to talk about him, read about him, honour him. And God knows that. Me-centred worship is no good for Jesus and no good for me. Him, who he is, striding out in glory, dying on the cross, raised from the grave, like, ah, oh, like it's so good for him and it's so good for me. The chosen are those who've given their lives to Jesus, but we don't have names and addresses for these people. The Bible tells us loads of stuff about lots of things. It doesn't tell us who they are and we don't get to decide who they are. Because I, a lot of people would have said of me that I didn't look like anybody who was going to give their life to Jesus. To be honest, it was the biggest shock to me when I ended up giving my life to Jesus. I had quietly, um, slightly despised the Christians that I knew. And I had been relatively happy living life my way. If you know me at all, you'll know that I don't really enjoy rules or being told what to do. And so the, the whole thing about becoming a Christian for me was such a surprise. I'm glad that other people didn't decide that I was too far or too lost or too arrogant or too proud or too whatever for Jesus. I'm glad that people around me just told me about him. And the moment that Jesus opened my heart and said, come now, I just came. Because that's what you do when God calls your name. Like there's no, I didn't find Jesus, he found me. He called me and he said, come now. And I said, all right then, Lord. Like if you are called by Jesus, the call is irresistible. You're all done. And all we need to do is go out there and let people know so that they can hear the call or not hear the call. 
That's our only job, is to let them know that he really exists and, and I've met him. So the chosen don't come with names and addresses. We have to find them. We have to go out there. We have to be in community. We have to build relationships. We have to be bold and brave with our stories. We have to let people know that he's real by the way that I live. So I'm not saying we have to become a perfect people. We have to succeed and fail and show Jesus in all of that. We have to be honest when people say, what do you get up to or what do you think about this? We have to not dodge it. We have to face it head on because the chosen are out there. We just don't know who they are. So we need to put our nets down on the other side and scoop up and see what God brings in. We need to get out there and we need to be sharing stories. We need to be letting people know. They won't know unless we tell them. And I really enjoy sometimes when people find out I'm a Christian. The kind of the surprise of, huh. Because I think people think that Christians are a certain kind of person. Whereas actually what I know is Christians are all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And they're all different colours and they live in all different places The people of God are the most varied and beautiful, diverse people on planet Earth. They don't look like anything. They look multicolored. They're beautiful because of their diversity. And because people think Christians look a certain way, when they find out you're one or you're one, it's a shock. We need to tell them. We need to let them know the chosen are out there. This one is going to seem like a complete crowbar, but I said to Stuart, like, I, I know that God spoke to me about this, so I've got to say, in the way we condone our relationships, people will get to see whether or not we are transformed by Jesus. So I want to say something really quickly about sex. And I know that this subject is a bit awkward and a bit cringy. I'm not going to share any gory details from the Crane household. Uh, But what I want to do is just show you an area of life that I think we have a lot to say. So if you are married, sex was made for marriage. If you are married... What you will know is the moment intimacy is lost or you've fallen out with each other, sex is the first thing to go. So if I was to wander around the room and say to you, when was the last time you had sex? It would give me an indication of how your marriage is doing. And you might not like that idea. You might think, oh my gosh, please tell me she's not going to come around and do that. But it indicates where your marriage is at because oneness and physical union is the first thing that is lost when you are not connected or you're falling out with each other. So if you're sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think we've had sex for six months, a year, something's going on in your marriage and you need to look at it, talk about it, you need some help, you need to sort it out. The reason I'm saying this is because I think that in the world, what people talk about in the area of sex makes it sound like the place where it is most boring and most predictable and least had is marriage. Whereas I think what the Bible says is the place that this should be had and had a lot is marriage. And so I think one of the ways that we can communicate the transformation of God in our lives is that we get some of these things straight. So if we're married, we have sex, because actually God has ordained that or asked that of married 
people to make babies, but also for oneness. There's something about sex that makes people one. It, it connects you in a way that nothing else does. All the men in the room are going, yes, like, preach it, woman. Um, there's a oneness about it. You're going to have great nights tonight, okay? There's a oneness about it that has something to communicate to the world out there because sex isn't to be had with multiple partners in multiple places. That isn't what is exciting about sex. One of the big messages I think we've got to give to the world is that sex is for marriage. And I think increasingly we're going to have to stand up with one voice and be saying this. It is the most exciting and beneficial place for sex to be. I also think if you are single, you should not be having sex. The only place for sex is a marriage covenant relationship and you get to stand out in a culture that says have it wherever you like, whenever you like. Disciples of Jesus look different. They behave different because they know Jesus. They don't behave different because they're perfect and amazing and look at me. They behave different because they're in a relationship with the Savior. And what he says goes, goes. And so their lives look different. They're trying to navigate this way of living that God says is the best way, the perfect way for you to live. So if you are single, you have this unique opportunity to communicate to the world around you. My saviour says that marriage is the place where I am to have a lot of sex. So I'm going to wait until I get married and then I'm going to have the most sex ever. And I will navigate that and I will talk about that and I will do that in a culture that does something completely different because I am one of the chosen, I am one of the ones that he's coming back for and I have something to bring, something to contribute into the culture that I'm a part of. So if you are married, check with each other. When was the last time? If it was six months ago, something's wrong. Talk to each other. Get some help. If you are single, keep sex for marriage. Navigate a culture that says have it anywhere you like, in any way you like, with anyone you like. Navigate being one of the chosen. And I honestly think this is one of the messages that will cause people to think, oh my gosh, what has God done in you? I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think we're honest about it enough, and I don't think we talk about it out there enough, which means that other people feel the freedom then to talk about it all the time. Because in a void, people just fill it. We need to fill it with what it looks like when we love and honour Jesus. You didn't expect that, did you? No. Okay. And then lastly our money and our talents. I think that if we know we're the chosen, if we know that he's coming again, if he's coming to gather up his church, it alters the way we feel about the lost. So when lightning strikes, you do not want to be outside with no shelter. I want to make sure my people have every opportunity to hear about the shelter that is Jesus Christ so that on that day they are covered so that now they are covered. But I also want to use my money and my talents and my gifts to make that count. 
So I want to use what I've got and who I am to count on the day when he returns. I want him to come back and find me and go, good and faithful servant, I gave you five talents, you put them to great use, thank you. I want to hear those words. I'm probably going to fall on my face first, but when he lifts up my chin, I want to hear those words, that what I gave to you, what I've given to you, you made good use of. The gifting that I placed inside of you, the money that I have. So if you have a measure of gift that's this big, put it to good use. If you have one that's this big, put it to good use. If you've got this much money or that much money, put it to good use. But remember, he's coming back. Remember, he's coming back for the chosen. Remember, every time you give into an offering, you give to the poor, you give to church, you give to whatever need, every time you do that, it matters in what really matters. So he's not coming back to check out what car you drive, what house you own, what clothes you are wearing. Phew, hey? What he is coming back for is he's coming to check out the people. He's going, where are they, my chosen ones? And he's going to pull them from the ends of the earth. He's not pulling houses, money. He's not pulling any of that stuff from the ends of the earth. He's pulling people. Whenever we spend ourselves on behalf of people, we do it on behalf of Jesus. So if you gave into the food bank, if you gave into the catalyst offering, if you give into this local church, if whatever you do with your money in the kingdom, it's not wasted. It is invested in what's to come. And it is an investment that will bear enormous fruit in your life, in the lives of others, and in the kingdom. It's never wasted. In fact, it's one of the best places you can put your money. Some people will argue that it's in a house because, you know, you're, I'd argue the kingdom of God is the best place ever to put your money. It was awe-inspiring at the festival watching a video where they talked about the countries and places that the money two years ago from the festival helped fund the churches that were started the people who I sat there going we helped do that some country miles away with the people I've never met and don't even know we sowed money in so that they could start a church so that a woman could be saved a, a man could be saved some kids could be saved a, a school could be built it's never wasted he's coming back And he's coming back for his church. He's coming back for you and he's coming back for me. On that day, you want to find shelter in him. But you also want to know that you have spent your lives on behalf of him. Don't waste them. You've got one. Live it well. Spend all you can on behalf of the kingdom. Amen? We're going to worship our beautiful saviour. We're going to worship the one who's coming again. You need to boo any songs that talk about me and aren't I lovely. Just boo it, all right? Let's stand, let's worship him.